Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. We are two sentences into the show, and you have not said anything mean to me. So, so far, it is a success. Dude, that's a nice stat. Yeah, That exactly. is a noteworthy statistic right there. I don't know if that last one counted as being mean, but that would be three straight sentences consecutively <laughs> in which you did not say anything mean to me. Uh, consecutively all right, in a row. Uh, allegedly, allegedly. We're going to make it a meme on the internet. Allegedly, allegedly. It's gotta be. Uh, all right. Coming up on the show today, Jaden Daniels makes a huge decision. He goes to LSU. I think that's a really big get for Brian Kelly and company down on the bayou. We'll explain. Aaron has some combine thoughts. We, we, we sort of poo-pooed the combine a bit last week on the show because it sort of fails everybody. In fact, if you did not hear Aaron and her, her description of all the things that went down at the combine while she was there... I recommend you go listen, uh, but you, th- there were- it wasn't me. It wasn't supposed to be just me talking a mad amount of sh- a mad amount of shit. It was supposed to be a call to be better. I thought it was a thoughtful, nuanced conversation about a Thank complex you. topic. Okay, I thought you cool. did an excellent job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, also, a main topic today on the show: the attendance numbers in college football. The SEC's situation within those attendance numbers, seven consecutive years in which college football attendance has decreased, there are problems. The SEC is still the strongest, of course, in all of the the attendance conversation, but it doesn't mean there's not a lot of room for potential and for growth and for them to um, to get better. And and we will sort of give you some, some of our thoughts on how we think the SEC can better improve attendance across the conference. Dave Matter from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, friend of the pod, will join us a little bit later on to give you our Missouri State of the Union as we roll through states. Is it states of the union, state of the unions? What exactly? States, Where should, of, states of the union. Is it runs batted in? Is it run batted ins? RBI? RBIs? What is it? Runs batted in. Runs batted in. But it's not ours BI. <laughs> <laughs> I have a funny, well, RBIs. never mind. I'll share that at the end if we have time. All right. We'll just call them ribeye steaks uh, as they do in Omaha. A uh, couple of ribeye steaks in that that uh, night game last night. So uh, a lot of stuff on the show today. We'll, we'll talk a little quarterbacks here at the beginning due to all the NFL news. But uh, uh, and again, Dave Matter coming up a little bit later on if you want to get your Missouri fix for the offseason. Before you we want to start with a question. Before, oh, wait. We, before we do any of that, Aaron, hold your <sighs> just hold up. Hold up. I'm in a hurry. Settle down. <laughs> Fringe Element is brought to you by who? Brought to you by Jasper's, a lovely establishment, which Braden and I frequent, and but we don't frequent together because we spend all the time that we can possibly stand each other together wow. on the pod each week. But we have been together before, and it was fine. <laughs> but like not in a weird way. <laughs> we have been together in the past, but like not that way. Uh, just at Jasper's, but like that was odd. Go to Jasper's. <laughs> it wasn't odd like that. You made it odd like I, that. I, I was just trying to. I have a lot on my mind. <laughs> I have no clue what has happened to this show already. Uh, by the way, by the way, not an insult at all to my wife when you said, "Oh, I spend about an hour and a half with Braden a week, and that's as much as I can handle." Total insult, <laughs> slap in the face to my wife. By the way, just let no, you know, Haley definitely gets it. <laughs> she gets it okay let's oh. start okay let's start with a question go to, ja- so we go can to jasper's everybody get off of my just 
less than mediocre ad attempt. Um, with everything, with everything going on in the NFL, Russell Wilson getting traded. Um, mm. We talked before the show, and you compared that to Alabama trading Bryce Young, their guy. So, posing a question back to you: If Bryce Young was to be anywhere else in the SEC right now, you got to trade it. I mean, I guess it could be historic or current. Where would you put oh. him? Historic or current? Man, you're opening it up. Okay, there. do current. Do current. Um, Either I last mean, year and how that would have changed last year or this coming season. So, like, there's obvious big – like, Auburn would be hilarious just for obvious reasons. Georgia would have been fascinating because it would sort of be what we want the the, the Georgia machine to look like if it had the superstar quarterback and evolved and had Bryce young, like that's what we feel like, you know, Stephen Godfrey told you he wanted to see for like the, the last better part of like eight months or whatever, but it wouldn't have changed the outcome of it, no Georgia would have won. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent. In fact, it would have been like, it probably they probably would have won the sec championship as well. Yeah. And they would have gone undefeated. They would have beaten Michigan. They, they would have been number one seed. So they would have played Cincinnati and then they would have played Michigan and they would have beaten Michigan. So yes, like nothing really changes. Auburn is the most intriguing one. Just again, for obvious reasons, I think if you like, Will Levis was solid, but if you put Bryce young at a really solid team with Mm. good defensive players and good weaponry, like how good Kentucky, how good could Kentucky be if they had Bryce young? (laughs) Can I speak? You can't how good could Kentucky have been <laughs> if they had a player? And this is not meant to be an insult to Will Levis, but if they had a player of Bryce Young's caliber with Wondell Robinson, that rushing attack, that offense, those defensive players, they won 10 games with Will Levis. What, what would their ceiling have been? That That's interesting to me. Like a, mm. a really good high-level middle-class team like how much what two games did Kentucky lose? Uh, they lost to Tennessee in a shootout where yep. they only had the ball for like 15 minutes. One? I would assume Bryce Young would have been made a difference in that game. Yes, uh, I'd have to. I'd have to oh, god, uh, lose to? they lose to like Mississippi State or something. Stupid they, like I'll that. figure it out. I think they lost like Mississippi State or something stupid. Um, and obviously, Georgia. I don't the Georgia game, they actually gave Georgia a bit of a run down in mm-hmm. Athens in the first half, at least. It wasn't like it didn't end up being close, although they covered Kentucky covered late back door. Don't, don't ask me why I remember that. Um, hmm. uh, to me, Kentucky's the fascinating one. If you're talking about last year, if you're talking about moving forward, like what about like this, this coming up season, what about like an old miss or an Arkansas where mm-hmm. they feel like they're a quarterback away. Right. I don't think Florida's a quarterback away. I don't think LSU's a quarterback away. And we'll get to Jaden Daniels. It's just sort LSU of like, probably will oh, be a quarterback away soon. Why? So here's the answer. I can't believe it took me this long. A and M. If he's at A&M, if he's at A and M last year or this year, they win the West probably both years. Wow. Yeah. No. That. Yeah. That didn't even come to mind. For I know. Me. What am I thinking? That that changes the That's entire the dynamic of the of the conference. Totally. It's like, while he goes to Auburn, that would be fascinating to watch, like, the drama, right? But then he'd oh. probably still be in the transfer portal like everybody else at Auburn this year anyway, and so then it would change again. <laughs> right. 
Well, and it's so much fun to think about, like, just the what ifs in college football. And, you know, what if Nick Saban had signed Drew Brees at Miami instead of Dante Culpepper and he doesn't take the Alabama job and Rich Rodriguez is the coach at Alabama? Like, what does the SEC look like? You know, famously, Mike Shula, I believe, sat in Tim Tebow's home for like nine hours and tried to get him to come to Bama. Like, what would Mike Shula and his career have been like had Tim Tebow gone to Bama and Mm -hmm. Urban Meyer not gotten Tim Tebow to cover up all the murder that happened at Florida? You know, that that would be a new twist on on history. (laughs) (laughs) This is a Um, Netflix documentary waiting to happen. What if Peyton Manning stayed home and goes to LSU in the the mid-90s? Like, I just, there's so much you can do mentally with, like, these little decisions that change the course of, of the SEC. I don't know if my brain can handle that right now. I don't, <laughs> neither one of us are, are suited for this right now. Uh, <laughs> What's but wrong is, with us? It, 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 A&M feels <sighs> like, like they were a quarterback away from on last year's team. Yes. Like, if, if Bryce Young was at A&M, like, we already know A&M was good enough to beat Bama anyway. So, mm-hmm. if they had Bryce Young... You know what? It, I might change the pick in the championship if it's like A and M Georgia with Bryce Young for A and M. Man, if they is, had ha- yeah, I mean, if they had been able to develop their team around that quarterback all season long, it probably would have looked really different. Yeah, yeah. Kentucky did lose Mississippi State, by the way, by two touchdowns. Lost to Tennessee in the shootout and Joe. lost to. Is that Georgia, it? Bulldog, Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia. Yep. Yeah, See, a couple I, of those could have been different, probably. The ceiling I, I, for Kentucky's higher with a quarterback like that. They could have gone eleven and one with mm-hmm. Bryce Young last year. They would, yep. I mean, to say that they would have beaten Tennessee and beaten Mississippi State with Bryce Young, and that again, not trying to be insulting to Will Levis, but that's absolutely what I would pick. And mm-hmm. they still, they still lose to Georgia on the road in Athens, but eleven and one Kentucky has a good chance to slip into the playoff. Yep. So anyway, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> It's sort of like, it's sort but it's, you know, what's funny is these trades in the NFL just don't happen very often. Like with these historically epic hall of fame, first ballot type of quarterbacks. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Aaron Rodgers is is reportedly staying in green Bay, which could have also been one of these same type of trades, but Wilson going to Denver from Seattle. I mean, that is like Bryce young going into the portal and transferring to Auburn or A&M or Georgia and Jaden Daniels, while he is not nearly as good as any of these people we were talking about, it is a really nice pickup by LSU to acquire the Arizona State quarterback. This was a the number one dual threat quarterback prospect in the country. Started for Arizona State as a true freshman in 2019. Had a 17 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio as a true freshman in a Power 5 conference. Then he deals with the pandemic. 3,000 yards too. Yeah, then he de- and a great athlete running the football. Then he deals with the pandemic. Then he deals with a coaching staff that is under investigation by basically everyone, the whole world. Coaches leave. I actually talked with his offensive coordinator for like an hour and a half during the pandemic about how you develop a guy virtually. And he was, you know, raving about Jaden's skill set, you know, the ability to throw on the run, his 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 composure, all this stuff. But he's like, how am I supposed to work with this guy during I've just met him. I'm a first year coordinator at this team. I can't sit down. I just think Jaden Daniels is getting a bad rap a little bit because the only year of his career, which was even partially stable was mm-hmm. his first year. And that was by far his best season. And Oh, by the way, as a starter in three seasons, he is 18 and 11. So he's still winning games, even if he's not producing the same level of efficiency. So I think LSU has got a really nice piece here. I don't know if he can win in the sec, but I think it's a nice pickup by Brian Kelly. 
Um, just, and also, sorry, there's a helicopter or something crazy outside my window. Um, he's also the competition, the competition of being able to play all the way through the off season in the spring leading up to the season with that much competition at the quarterback position is arguably a good thing. I mean, there's not four spot spots, but they have four people competing for that particular position, including Miles Brennan um, and Walker Howard. And then who am I missing? Uh, is Nussmeyer's kid there? The yeah, they have it. Yeah, he's a freshman. Yep, yeah. Garrett. So, and he brought in got, another five star too. I think right. He's got another five star that just signed. Does he? I think he's got another. I think he's got another one. But well, that's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, a lot of dudes. So what they're going to have to do, I think, what becomes the hard part there, if it ends up being at all close, is deciding when to decide who is their guy, and then making sure that they're getting enough reps because. Quarterback offseason quarterback competition is a great thing if you're up leveling rising tide raises all ships kind of vibes. But if you're really, really getting down to the wire and you haven't given your main guy enough time actually knowing that he's going to be starting there and giving the reps, I mean that's that's the only real problem you run into with with that many guys competing for that position, which is a good problem to have. Yeah, I, I think it's a great way of putting it. I'm not sure I've heard anyone say that before, but I appreciate that from you, which is knowing like deciding when to decide is a great mm-hmm. is a great line for a quarterback battle because was it, I think it was Gus Malzahn who said all offseason long like Bo Nix and Joey Gatewood are going to be in a battle all the way through the regular season and then like the first week of camp he's like oh it's Bo Nix mm-hmm. Gatewood ends up at Kentucky and he's not really a, a, an impact player in any way you've now got Miles Brennan who goes into the portal comes back out of the portal to right. come back to LSU, assuming he probably has a clear path to start because all the other guys are really young. Mm-hmm. Now you've got this really talented, very experienced player who sort of needs some molding, is stepping into a battle. And so, you know, it, <laughs> if Brian Kelly knows right now and goes and tells Jaden Daniels, hey, you're, you're our guy, come to LSU. The problem with that is that you now have all these other guys that have decisions that, that they make off of that decision. So when mm-hmm. do you decide is actually hugely critical don't you think it also depends on where your program is because as much as you don't want to build a particular system around a player and you never fully do that but somewhere like Alabama on the op let me jump jump for a second Alabama has such a strong system in place that they can you know make changes swap people in and out they didn't have to this year except Bryce Young but they've done it before where you're pulling guys out and putting another guy in at quarterback, you know, kind of at the drop of a uh, drop of a hat. But with this particular system, because there's a lot of moving parts still, I would venture to say that you need to know a little bit earlier who you're going with, just because there's yeah. some other things that kind of, you have to, you, you're not strong in every single sense on the offense or defense at LSU right now. So don't you kind of have to build around, your strength at the quarterback position and mold it a little bit more to that particular person. Well, and here's what's to your point. Like we don't really know what Mike Denbrock, the new offensive coordinator wants to do. We saw what Mm -hmm. he did with Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati, which is more like Jaden Daniels, right? More getting him out of the pocket, get him on the move, get him throwing the football around outside of the the confines of an offense necessarily. Miles Brennan's a little bit more of a, of a sort of traditional passer, but he's talented too. Mm-hmm. It is a tricky spot. And I'll give both, I'll give Jaden Daniels a lot of credit for just saying, whatever, 
I don't care if there's a I lot of competition. Yeah. I'm going to come into the SEC and play for one of the biggest programs in America. And oh, by the way, there's three guys that are going to that I've got to compete with to earn my spot. Yeah. So I, I, it's one of those where I would be fascinated to know to be a fly on the wall in the conversations, the private conversations between Brian Kelly and the quarterback. That's what I would like. Like, was something promised? That kind of <laughs> stuff, you know? Like, yeah, come to LSU. You can be the starter. Sorry, Miles. <laughs> You're out again. Go back to the portal where you came from. <laughs> yeah, well, and to your to your point, the the confidence, if there wasn't the promise that you're talking about, uh, the confidence you have to have to walk into that situation. I mean, you got to have a lot um, because he is talented enough, obviously, to lead this type of program or at least has the potential to do so. So, uh, you know, risking being benched is not something that you want to do if you're Jaden Daniels. So he must, he must he's got a chip enough. on his shoulder for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so interesting there for LSU, either way, LSU has a lot more options today with Brian Kelly than they had going into last season after the miles Brennan injury. And we had no clue what that, that offense was going to look like. You do get Kayshawn Boutte back. Who's obviously one of the best receivers in America. So you got an elite weapon to throw to. So it, the LSU turnaround could happen quicker than people, people realize, especially if you've got an established guy at quarterback. So it'll we be talked about that before a few episodes yeah. ago about yeah. how the LSU wasn't going to need that much time. If the right pieces were in place, there you go. Um, we'll get to the, we'll get to Dave matter. Cause Jaden Daniels was, was he visited Missouri. He does not go. You can obviously tell that's how much Eli Drinkwitz thinks of his quarterback room uh, at, at Missouri. And so we'll talk with Dave matter of the St. Louis post dispatch, give you a really nice in-depth state of the union for the Mizzou, Mizzou tigers and, who exactly is Eli Drinkowitz, <laughs> as we all are getting to know um, uh, the, the head coach at Missouri? We'll get into the attendance conversation. I know you were tuned into the combine, even though we we did poo-poo it a little bit. Well, I didn't. I just I I followed the recap of it. Ah, okay. I didn't watch it live. You're a busy person on the weekends. You can't be watching the underwear Olympics. Um, yes, and I don't know if that was you. I am a busy person on the weekends, but it's not been fun stuff lately. All we do is work. You get it. Yeah, no, I do. But wish there was do, more social all I, to it. All I do is uh, take a three and a five year old to the to the men's bathroom at restaurants and at zoos and at outings and and kids' birthday parties. It was it was a jam packed weekend, and not any of it had to do with the combine for me. Y'all went to the zoo. We did the zoo, we did dinner and a watch party for the soccer match on Saturday, and then we did a kid's birthday party on Sunday. It was way too Jeez. much stuff. Way too much stuff. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, thanks. Um, combine. Yes. If we're talking about it in, <laughs> here we go. The zoo just stressed, the zoo that, with two small that, children just stressed me out. <laughs> I gotta that's go. A, actually, that's the easiest one. Um, no, that was uh, the, all the things you named. Oh, absolutely. Taking them out to dinner is the most stressful because they have to oh. behave a certain way. Mm -hmm. take him to the zoo it's just like madness everywhere there's kids yeah, it's everywhere it's, it's sort of like a like auburn it's just like auburn at the zoo at all times <laughs> now now se segue into the combine after that aaron um <laughs> it'd be easier if it'd be easier if we were going to talk about missouri because there's no bulldogs at the zoo but if there were that's true um Jordan Davis, the guys to watch is the Georgia defensive guys. Jordan Davis, um, Trayvon Walker. Who else do we name, Braden, before the show? Uh, Devontae Wyatt, N'Kobe yep. Dean. N'Kobe Dean yes. is a little undersized, I believe, at the combine, but that's because he's N'Kobe Dean. I don't 
I just, yeah. I don't like, I know you want to talk about Jordan Davis and you should, because he's 340 pounds and six foot six and ran a four, eight or four, seven. And he's just four, seven, freak, eight. He's a freak of nature. But like, I just want to know if you listen to this show all, all fall, we talked about how amazing he is. So I, it's, it almost, it's weird. We're going to talk about results from the combine that actually sort of cement our opinion that the combine doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, we are, yeah, we already knew this about now. I will say Trayvon Walker's performance, the Georgia defensive end. Um, he had one of those standout performances that maybe got him a little bit more attention because he spent the season in terms of media is, you know, competing with guys like Jordan Davis for, you know, time on the air, at least being talked about by commentators and stuff. Right. So for him, it's pretty significant. Um, but I would still argue that coaches, scouts, um, people that are looking out for their organization, NFL organization, probably already knew what Trayvon Walker was capable of, even if he's not a household name for everybody across the Southeast. So he, uh, you know, for him, maybe it's a great thing, but for Jordan Davis, exactly what you said, we already knew he was fast. We already knew he was dynamic. Um, it ran a four, faster 40 time than Patrick Mahomes. If that puts things in perspective for people, um, he's 341 pounds. Exactly. Like Braden said, we knew this like confirmed check. We get it. Yep. Um, yep. Trayvon Walker ran a four five one in the 40 yard dash, which is a better than a lot of defensive backs, which is who we look to during the combine and throughout the season to be the, um, the fastest ones on the field, the fastest ones in competition. Um, four five one is insane. Um, he ran a six, eight, nine in that three cone drill, which just shows his, agility, his, you know, vertical is great. So for Trayvon Walker, the, the combine was a good time to stand out. Yep. Um, uh, just, just so that people know that four, five, one, uh, for Walker, he's six, five, two seventy five. <laughs> so <laughs> just, he's just want to throw that out there. <laughs> um, 10 foot three broad. I mean, he's just yeah, he's a freak. insane. Yeah. And we, you could see that on tape. If you're looking for it, Trayvon Walker is yeah. elite and you can tell from his tape, but for him, it was a good time to just, you know, stand out, I guess, amongst the other talent that he was surrounded by all season. Yeah, it'll be fa it'll be fascinating to watch the Georgia defense over time, not just this this first year, because you know that probably Davis, Dean, Walker, Wyatt, those four probably get drafted in the yeah. first round. At least they're projected there right now. Jeremiah Johnson, technically, who played at Florida State, is a Georgia transfer, so technically, and he's a projected top 10 pick out of, uh, as a transfer. I don't know if that counts. I would count it as a, a Georgia defensive player. He wasn't on the team that won the national title, but it's not just this year's class. It's a bunch of guys down the road that are going to get drafted in the next mm -hmm. couple of years that were either freshmen or sophomores on this particular, this team that won the championship. And it will be see, it will be fascinating to see like, do they get to like 15 defensive players drafted in that Miami hurricanes mold from the early two thousands when it was just, they were recruiting people at a different level and Georgia's kind of doing that right now. Yeah. It will be interesting to watch something always, you know, pretty unexpected happens in the first round of the draft. Somebody always falls yeah. um, to be later than, than you think they're going to be. But those, all those guys we just named have a really good shot to go in the first round. Yeah, if here, not, yep. go ahead. Well, I was going to say here in Nashville, Christian Fulton was a first round cornerback out of LSU was a first round pick his entire career at LSU basically and he falls into the second round the Titans draft him he gets hurt his rookie year doesn't play much and now he's like a lockdown cover corner 
Mm-hmm. Like just the point is that the guys fall into the second round that have first round grades and they're still really good players and you can still get them in the second round. I will say that, and for the players, and a lot of people don't think about this. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast before, but I know I bring up Jawan a lot, but he's my most closest experience with the draft and the combine and everything. Um, you know, he's super bummed because he ends up falling to the beginning of the second round when he had been projected. For, he wasn't a shoe in for the first round, but he thought it was definitely a possibility. Right. Well, now I was just talking to him a few days ago. He's like, it's my money year because those guys don't have as long of a contract yep. to be under. They get to resign earlier, which actually ends up if you end up in the second round um, as a player, it's not a horrible thing because your opportunity to make money quicker, that big check uh, comes sooner. So not a horrible thing if you look at it that way. No, you've got uh, Evan Neal, by the way, the offensive lineman for, and you're talking about Jawan Williams, the corner uh, place. For yes, Patriots sorry, I say it like I'm just right. You're like, oh, Jawan. Everyone knows who Jawan is. Uh, no, e- Evan Neal was six seven, three thirty seven, and he looked like he was like two fifty. Like he didn't look like he's three three thirty seven. Just insane athleticism. These these kids are. I say that lovingly. Uh, Charles Cross is a top 10 pick out of Mississippi State. Uh, the offensive lineman there. We mentioned all the Georgia guys. You got Derek Stingley is probably going to be a first round pick out of LSU. Yep. Um, you know, Jamison Williams from Alabama, the wide receiver is probably going to be a first round pick. You got Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. Um, I, I think Traylon Burks, the wide receiver out of Arkansas, probably goes into the first round. Um, I think it would. I would think it would be someone missing an opportunity if he didn't go in the first round. I think. I, I am a huge Traylon Burks fan, not yeah. just because he went to Arkansas, but <laughs> I think he's going to be one of those people that we don't see that doesn't his fire or his flame doesn't wait out when he gets to the NFL. I think it's going to do the exact opposite. Uh, Matt Corral is projected by a few people to go in the first round late, I've late, late first round. Him. I don't know if he gets into the first round, um, but he's got a nice arm. So if you've got the arm, people think they can, they can, you know, teach you how to play in the NFL and Corral's got a ton of ability. So uh, we shall see. Now, speaking of Arkansas and old Mississippi, <laughs> this is a professional segue. Speaking of the rebels and the Razorbacks, the two largest attendance growthing growthing. Nope. Matt, sure Matt Groth- isn't. Matt growthing played quarterback at South Florida. Um, the outside of Rutgers, the, the Rutgers up in New Jersey, Mm-hmm. Arkansas and Ole Miss were number two and number three amongst all power five teams in terms of attendance growth in 2021. Obviously there's a very clear connection, which is good football teams, right? Yeah. So number one, let's just get that out of the way. Arkansas plus 14,000 people. They went from 50,000 roughly in attendance per game to 65,000, which is incredible. Ole Miss went from 48,000 to like 50 over 56,000, which is also incredible. Um, If you look at the rest of the SEC, there's not a lot of people that made many gains. In fact, all of college football, and this is our attendance conversation now, in case you didn't notice, um, seven straight years, college football attendance has been down. Um, The ACC is down 24% since 2004. They were down 12%. It, they year over year they're not counting 2020 they're just counting 2019 so they're not they're, they're they're going from 19 to 21 so just keep that in mind the sec basically held firm around 72,000 people per game um just over that is number one of course of every conference not even close but it is the lowest since 1999 and only georgia 
of any team in the SEC, only Georgia was at capacity 100% for the season. Um, I, I, there's a lot of different ways we can go with this attendance conversation, Aaron, but I, it, one asterisk, if you took my alma mater out of it, the average would be higher than 72,000. <laughs> <laughs> and that's on math. Uh, that's on Va- mathematics. Vandy was at 26,000 in 2019. They got, they dropped to 23,000 in 2021. <laughs> so yeah. there's that to consider. <laughs> it, okay. There's an, you know, you like try to find outliers in math of like, which one is, I forget what we're talking about. I mean, I forget what it's called. Is it an outlier? Uh, sta- like a stand, like the standard deviation or whatever. Yeah. It's we're. Yeah. We're it's, way off the bell curve. Van- Vanderbilt's fucking up the bell curve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It would be higher than 72,000. Everything you just, um, what you said to make it the easiest, a lot of people had all this speculation about. What is it? Is it TV? Is it interest of the millennials? Is it uh, price of concessions? Is it um, the price of parking? Which I will never not think of the progressive commercials when we talk about that. Dr. But. <laughs> let's not talk about leaving the game before it starts. But they're all, but these are all compact spots. That's how they make their money. (laughs) They, though, that is the core. That's, I mean, Arkansas going up 14,000 in these past two years is pretty insane. Um, And you look at Ole Miss, same thing. They, you know, not that much, but they did have 8,000 more. Like Braden said, Kentucky to me, when I looked at theirs, they've gone up 3000 people on average um, from nine or from 2019 to 2021. To me, that kind of says people were already attending Kentucky football games pretty well in 2019, the capacity of that stadium. So it is better, but it shows you that Kentucky fans were already pretty much were showing up. Then the capacity of that stadium is only 61,000. So they were already flirting with it. Um, in 2019, now they're really flirting with it in 2021. Well, and and what helps them is they had the two things that help with Kentucky is they had Missouri, Florida, and LSU all in the first half of the season, and they won yeah. every game. So they mm-hmm. were not only were they six and zero, but they hosted three big opponents, and they won. So they had fifty eight thousand at Missouri. They had a hard sellout, 61-6 at Florida, 61-6 against LSU. So they were, you know, they came back to Tennessee, had 61-6 against Tennessee. So they were hard sellouts. Now, then you get New Mexico State later in the year, and you have 47,000. And that's, right. where it's, that's where it skews your sort of your number. But for Kentucky to be selling out three straight SEC home games, almost four straight SEC home games, and to have those games mean something and be big games and to win three of them, that's why they're up 3,000. And, and from a context standpoint, n- only three teams were up more than 1,000 people from 2019. It was Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Kentucky. And what do they all have in common? They had really good seasons in 2022. Yeah. I would also like to see Flor- Florida's up almost 500 people. I would, That's weird. I would love to see what their numbers looked like game to game because I guarantee you if they hadn't had the f- – beginning of the season that they had had i bet their numbers are front loaded big time that's, that's an interesting point glad you asked Ninety-one thousand for the alabama game yep Eighty-eight thousand for the tennessee game Eighty-six thousand for the vanderbilt game then we get to samford we're at seventy thousand, and then we host florida state eighty-eight thousand. so you know they had eighty-six thousand for florida atlantic i thought that was interesting because you know that you know it's not it's not shocking that they went up, but it basically is the first year and the last year of Dan Mullen and very different vibes 
for the team and for them to be higher. I I don't know. I just, for them to be up this year, I thought was interesting. There's a lot of factors too. I mean, it could just be people missed football as part of this. That's, that's true. Um, also, you know, Auburn being up first year coach generally gives you a bump. So that, that kind of makes sense there. Georgia was actually down, but only by like a couple of people. Again, they were at hundred percent capacity. Basically Tennessee was down 1400. Alabama was down 2300. And this tells you all you need to know about attendance in college football writ large. Alabama was fifth in the nation in 2019 in attendance. They lost 2,400 people per game. They went from 101,000 to 98,000, and they moved up in the rankings to number three nationally in total attendance. So even though they they went down relative to their own standards, they actually went up nationally, and that's that's the the, the bigger picture question here. Yeah, for college for college football because A and M lost 3,000 people, LSU lost 6,000. Obviously, they're firing a coach. Mississippi right. State lost almost seven, Mizzou lost almost eight, and South Carolina lost eight thousand more than 8,000 people per game on a team that was better than we thought. So there's no However, reason yeah, for that one. That's true, except for we when we look at these numbers, there's a million different things to look at. What's cause, what's just correlated, what's causal, whatever. 2019 is all pre-COVID. So there were was still, although in 2021 it was much better. There's a lot less fear, and that's we right. left 2020 out for a reason. But I I don't necessarily know that I think we need 2022 under our belt to really see if we're trending. I okay. do think we're trending down on attendance, but I don't know if it's as drastic as these numbers make it look. And the SEC makes it look less drastic than the numbers do nationally. But yes, if we see yes. 2022 and we're still heading in that direction, it should be continue to be a conversation. Um, I just don't know if it's quite as drastic as it looks because I still think there is some fear and ups and downs in 2021, don't you? I, I think COVID certainly plays a natural role in this conversation. But it is a 23-year low in attendance for the SEC. Yeah, So that's true. this is the lowest number, 72,195 on average per game for the SEC is still the lowest since 1999. Um, mm-hmm. the, now, the average for college football is like 39,000. So they're still, again, they're still number one by a mile, which, yeah. is, their, which is their 23rd consecutive season in which the SEC leads college football in attendance. But the Big Ten's at 65,000, so 7,000 less. Then you got to go 10 grand less than that to get to the Big 12. Then you got to go down to 43,000 for the Pac 12, which is the lowest in the history of their conference. The mm-hmm. ACC is even lower than that at 42,000, which again is a 30 year low for the ACC. So uh, the SEC is still doing really, really well. Let's, let's preface it with that. But let's pivot now to what can we do to fix the trend, which is attendance across college football has gone down seven straight years, nine of the last 10, and the SEC is at a 20 year low. All right, what do we do about it? Um, I People don't want to hear this, especially people my age, 39 and up. You got to have freaking Wi-Fi in the stadium, folks. You, you, you got to have, you, ask anyone under the age of 30 to put their phone away for four and a half hours. It's yeah. Not, it's not going to happen. Nope. Because I still believe that a high-quality football game and a shared in-person experience holds incredible value and is worth it to be there with 80 or 90,000 of your closest friends who cheer for the same team. Right. I think, and I've talked to two different color analysts in the sec to do that work for radio networks. Like one that I talked to Pat Ryan about this, who, who's the color analyst for, for the Tennessee broadcasts and a couple other guys. The other things, a couple things to consider here, these giant, enormous 110,000 seat stadiums, they're done. They're dinosaurs. 
You can't just put a metal bench in a giant bowl and sell 110,000 seats anymore. It needs to be like 90,000, but those seats need to be premium, right? You need Wi-Fi. You need cheap concessions. You need a really good football game. It can't last four and a half hours. Like, I think there's a formula there, but you you can't take Wi-Fi away from kids, man. (laughs) I know. Yeah. And the the comfort thing is, is big. So for the younger generation, it's, you know, Wi-Fi. I think it also, you know, I know we have these huge shows and stuff for the Super Bowl. If there's any way to incorporate some kind of entertainment, like platforms or to have musicians play like NFL games have, I don't know if there's any opportunity for that, but I feel like that could draw more people. But then when I think about my parents who grew up, we grew up going Memphis games all the time. Now they're like, do I want to sit on a metal bench or do I want to watch it on TV when I can actually hear and, you know, we still definitely appreciate the experience, but there is the comfort and honestly, like the, uh, economic is like, is it a good economic investment to buy $12 beers versus opening the refrigerator? So everything you're saying resonates. Yeah. You're going to, you're, you're never going to, this is a weird, you're never going to not fight the at home comfort battle. That's always going to be a thing you have to fight. Like my 70 inch television gives me better replay views. I have cold beer in the fridge five steps away. I've got a bathroom and a toilet that I can use that's clean and it's mine. And, uh, you know, like all the re- like parking, the cost of going to a game, there's a lot of reasons why staying at home is quote unquote better. You're never going to not fight that battle. You have to fight that battle. But, right. but, but the way you make going to the game, because like Arkansas, if you go to an Arkansas game and you watch a 52-51 showdown and you're in you know, Razorback Stadium with 70,000 people going batshit crazy. It's going to be awesome. It is going to beat the experience at home. Right. But that needs to be a premium experience. And Greg Byrne in Alabama, the athletic director, has been saying this for years. You can't, we, they've got to schedule better football games. Like you can't, like you cannot be up 59 to nothing on Western Carolina in the third quarter and expect all the students to stay there. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I know I know that pisses off Nick Saban, but like it's it's not gonna happen. Like well, and Alabama at least students are gonna maybe come for part of it and not stay the whole time. There's a lot of schools that if that's the matchup, they're right. not even stepping foot in the stadium. Right. You have to create a premium experience. And to me, that means not more seating, but better seating. Not more game time, but better games, more Wi-Fi, cheaper concessions. Because walking around and tailgating at an SEC school is still an awesome part of the experience. Yeah. Like I can't go, I can't get that type of camaraderie and, and fun anywhere else in like in college. Like sure. I can save a lot of money by sitting on my couch and get better replays, but like, I can't get that experience of walking through on the road. I used to walk down when I went to college and bringing my kids back and tailgating with my buddies from college. Like you can't get that at home but I'm not going to sit through a four hour football game on a steel bench and pay $14 for a Coke and not be able to post on Instagram. Right. <laughs> like, and, and watch a blowout so fair. Fo- and watch a blowout football game. That's not good. So it, it's, it, it's, it, I think it's a problem. I think the sec is best positioned to handle it. Um, and I'd like to see some of the trends and some of the things that the sec is going to do. Um, moving forward. And I think there are some people in charge that know what they're doing on this. So we'll see. I hope you're right. Yeah. 
More, more good football is my answer. <laughs> and more cool stuff for people going to games. Those are my, those would be my two answers for folks. How excited are you to learn about Mizzou football? Pretty excited? Pretty fired up? I am stoked because <laughs> I, um, I d- there is still a little bit of a, a cloud of mystery around Mizzou to me, how they got there, what's going on. And so I will be learning along with everybody else listening. Yeah. He, Dave is great. He's been with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch for a long time covering Mizzou. We talked about the quarterback battle, the new defensive coaching staff, the state of the roster. Had to ask about uh, Luther Burden, of course, the superstar wide receiver that's going to step in and be a, you know, an automatic stud for that team right away. Uh, so a lot of stuff with Dave. That just about does it for us. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. All that great stuff. Follow Aaron all of the socials. You can follow me as well. When we return, you will hear my conversation, a State of the Union about the Missouri Tigers with Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Right here on the 440 Sports Network and Fringe Element when we return. Fringe Element is brought to you by... Jasper's the a glimmer of hope in a sea of despair. There, there you go. Uh, Jasper's is an excellent place to watch sporting events or not. Uh, it's got excellent food, great parking, all kinds of good stuff. I'm sure Aaron was there all weekend watching the combine, just ponied up to the bar. Sure do wasn't, you, but it's be- not because of Jasper's. It's because <laughs> of the combine. <laughs> do, you, do you belly up to a bar or are you offended by that phrase? I don't belly anything nor do i say the word belly i knew you're gonna be i knew i hate it by it, that. I knew it, it just it sounds i don't like that word i never have you're so predictable <laughs> <laughs> i knew when i thought about that I was, I was like oh if i suggested that she ever bellied up to anything she would be bellied up me. to <laughs> yuck no belly on up man nope Shut sure up. won't I will scoot up to the bar and have a nice oh. meal. I will not belly. One anywhere. bourbon, one shot, one beer. I'm bellied up here, boys. Let's go. Jasper. I'm glad you know how to push my buttons and that you choose to do so. <laughs> it doesn't, it, to be fair to me, it doesn't happen on purpose. I just, it just happens in the moment. And I go, oh, she really doesn't want to hear the word moist right now. So I'm going to really piss her off. That one doesn't bother me that bad. Do you hate it? It doesn't bother me. No words bother me. I don't. I mean, offensive ones maybe, but like that's that's not what we're talking about here. I was gonna say I think I have bothered you before. Go to Jasper's, <laughs> which it really is. It's gonna be a it's a fantastic place to sit down and watch some basketball games. Oh my god, I can't wait for the tournament. And oh by the way, for those of you committed listeners who are listening to this in in the ad here, a uh, little 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 surprise for you guys next week. Already planned. Already Ooh. planned. A little surprise for you guys next week. NCAA tournament style for you Fringe Element listeners and SEC fans. So just, just teasing the next week's episode. Be ready. Yeah, just teasing it. Just teasing it. Um, also, probably another phrase you don't like hearing. Just teasing it. I stopped listening to you when you said bellied up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware. Uh, go to Jasper's. The menu is great. The parking is free. The people are wonderful. The the happy hours are great. Like the sight lines, the TV, they got the board games all over in the bar over there. feels like a library you're hanging out in. They got the grab and go market. Happy hours are awesome. Like there's just not, we've, we've said all the things we can say about Jasper. And, and, and so we appreciate their support and you should go support them too. So go to Jasper's 
and uh, post some photos on the on on the on the gram, on the Twitters, on the Facebook, and make sure you tag Jasper. Teach Braden how to use Instagram while you're at it. Would be helpful. Really would be. Accepting accepting (laughs) applications. I am not interviewing for the job, so it's wide open. (laughs) It's yours for the taking. Slide up into my DMs and you can going to the lowest bidder. You can have the job. Uh, Go to Jasper's, everybody. All right, we continue our State of the Union off-season status here across the SEC, and we welcome in Dave Matter, of course, from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You can follow him on the Twitters at Dave underscore Matter, sir. How are you? Welcome to the show. Good to see you. Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. So I'm not going to start this interview by asking about Luther Burden. I feel like that's probably (laughs) the first question you get everywhere we go. So we'll get to that in a second. But I just wanted to get your general sense of where Missouri fans are with Eli Drinkwitz. He's got sort of a quirky personality. Missouri has sort of a quirky personality. They feel like from the outside looking in that there's a good fit. He's only 11 and 12, good first year, recruiting really well. Where does the fan base and the head coach, where do they stand together right now? I I think in a way he kind of gets a free pass for what's happened on the field because of the recruiting and maybe not during the season in the heat of the moment when they're losing a close game or they can't finish off army in a bowl game. But as soon as you get away from the action on the field and the discussions are more about recruiting, then all of a sudden um, he, he's got, he becomes this more popular figure who can't do wrong. So in, in, in some ways I think fans are still just enamored with him and his personality helps but the fact that he is recruiting at a higher level, just going off recruiting rankings than any coach Missouri's ever had, um, he's still in sort of a, I don't want to say a honeymoon period, but it seems like he is with some fans. It's almost like they discount what's happened the first two years because he's bringing in the Luther Burdens and he's doing a pretty good job in the transfer portal this time around. He got a four-star quarterback. He's doing well in state. Um, so it's, it, the perception of him changes a little bit from August to December to when it's time to nitpick every little thing that happens and goes wrong and question anything that doesn't go right on the football field. But offseason Eli could still run for mayor in Columbia or maybe even governor of Missouri because they just love what he does as far as recruiting goes. I, I, I'm not a big believer in fit. Like we just saw Coach O get fired from LSU. Right. I'm, I'm not a big believer. But, but there does feel like some cultural fit here, right? Between sort of the the nerdy sort of analytical side of Eli Drinkowitz. And I say that as a nerd, so I say that complimentary to, <laughs> to Missouri fans. But did, does that make sense that there is sort of a, a like a, a common cultural fit between the two? Or is that wrong? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, you know, he is kind of an odd fit compared to most of his peers in, in college football. You know, he didn't play college football. Um, you know, he didn't go to a prestigious school. You know, he doesn't really have like – He's from, I guess, the Gus Malzahn coaching tree for sure, but he wasn't like Gus's coordinator. He wasn't really, he doesn't come with this illustrious background. I mean, he was only in college football for a decade before he got the Missouri job. Uh, So yeah, his background is a little bit unconventional and Missouri is still considered, you know, unconventional program in the SEC just because they, even 
with the success they had early on under Gary Pinkle, they're still kind of the odd duck. I think that's probably the perception right. league wide nationwide. So yeah, I, I can buy and I can see that. Um, and, and I, I think that's something that's appealing for him. I mean, he wants to be the guy that can take him, make Missouri become a conventional, you know, standard power program in the sec. We'll see if it can do it, but yeah, I, I buy that. Uh, all right. Quarterbacks got to talk about them. Uh, yeah. Connor Basilek's off to Indiana. You've got Tyler Macon, Brady cook cook, of course, started the bowl game and, was okay in, in that game. I think Macon didn't get as many reps as I think maybe fans would have hoped to. he would have gotten throughout the course of the regular season. They were in it for the Jaden Daniels transfer from Arizona State. Um, so just what, what is it? What do you make of this situation? Are they going to be open to another transfer? Is it just down to these two guys? Do we have a long way to go <laughs> in March? It's the biggest question mark in this program right now. And it's the one thing that has me uh, sort of skeptical if they can join that next tier of teams in the sec east that are knocking on the door of georgia so um you know when kentucky brings its quarterback back when hendon hooker comes back to tennessee um florida's got a couple quarterbacks south carolina goes out and gets spencer rattler well, what's missouri have well they're still shopping because clearly the the interest in daniels getting him on campus getting him on campus during a dead period they had to go through some loopholes to get, get that make that possible that just shows that they are not convinced that they have their starting quarterback on campus right now uh, so it'll be interesting to see how those guys cook and make and sort of respond to that interest in Daniels um, quarterback the situation I mean you know this it's as delicate as any place in sports and college football because it seems like every quarterback just about on every roster either has their foot right in the door or right out the door um, so yeah that's that's the question mark um, cook is is I don't even want to say he's number one right now because Eli says there's no depth chart. There's no starters. He's not going to announce a starter after spring, but from what little I've seen of spring ball that they let us watch, he's working with the ones and that, you know, he, he got the start in the bowl game and he played pretty well. He didn't do anything that to, um, to, you know, not be the number one guy going into spring, at least Macon is going to get some looks. He really didn't last year because you had Basilek as a starter and you had uh, cook is that number two, even if they didn't call him that. Um, but he's, he's got a ways to go throwing the ball. They, they don't, they made that pretty clear his his passing mechanics. Um, just getting down the reps is something he really has to work on and improve on before he can be a, a starting quarterback. And then, you know, the wild card is Sam Horn, the four-star, uh, four-star freshman yep. from, uh, from Georgia, who is not enrolling. He's not enrolled now. He won't be here till June. Um, you know, can you go into an SEC season starting a true freshman who wasn't there for spring? Well, you can, but are you going to have any success? I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to ask of a kid, but I, he'll be in the mix. That's what they're saying. I mean, they'll have a chance to compete. So it's an interesting situation. And Eli also has been very upfront and saying, if there is a quarterback available uh, in, in the portal now or after spring, and it's a mutual fit, they will, they will uh, go after him, which, which tells you all you need to know about how they feel about this group. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I want to ask sort of some specifics about the depth chart on defense and some of the playmakers on offense, but just in general, state of the roster, obviously it's, it's March. There's a lot of sort of roster management and massaging that takes place throughout the spring and in the summer, but it, just sort of trying to project forward the two deep for this Missouri team going into to fall camp and SEC media days. Where, where, do, where do you feel like this the state of this roster stands relative to the first two years under Drinkwitz? I, I think they're better – at receiver and um, yeah, adding Luther Burden is a big reason for that. He's, he's been here on campus. Uh, Eli has this policy where you have to earn your Jersey number before you get it. 
And some guys, it takes all of spring. It takes all summer. Um, takes a couple of weeks in fall camp. Eli got, or Burden got his on practice number two. So um, <laughs> if he doesn't start the season opener, it would there something has to go wrong between now and then. So he he's going to be a guy that I think upgrades that group, uh, whether he's an All SEC player as a freshman or not. I, I think he just upgrades the athleticism there. Um, they've got they've got some guys there. They had some guys last year that they added that played a little bit as freshmen. Mookie Cooper, Dominic Lovett. They didn't have great numbers, but you saw a little flashes. So I, I think they're better there. Offensive line, they only they only lose um, they lose one starter who played a lot last year, but that was their center, Mike Maietti, who played every snap the last two seasons. But around, I think the the offensive line as a whole, uh, you got a bunch of returning guys back and other places and some experience there. So I don't think it's I don't know if it's better, but it's no worse. I don't, I don't think. And then defensively, I thought they really filled in some holes that they needed to address via the portal with experienced guys from power five programs, from good power five programs. They go get a D tackle from Oklahoma state. Um, they get uh, one of the better defensive players of Florida, Tyrone Hopper linebacker who should start on day one. Um, they went and got uh, a former starting safety from Clemson. So they're not shopping the mid-majors and getting potential right. guys. They're getting proven power five players on that side of the ball. So, um, and, and compared to last year, I mean, this defense, it can't start the year off worse than it did a year ago. So I, I think what they have at most position groups there, um, that they should expect that side to be better. Yeah. I, was it, was it like third and 21 against Florida where they ran the football and scored a touchdown? <laughs> like, I can't remember what the exact down and distance was, but I was like, Oh, that's, that's not a good look. And Steve Wilkes, which I thought I'll be, I'll admit, I put my, I'll put my hand up and, and say, look, I thought that was a really nice hire by Eli Drinkwitz at the time. You get a guy with NFL experience, who's been a head coach to come in and coach in the sec. It seems like a really nice fit. Certainly they got better as the year went along, but they right. were, they were, I mean, God, they were atrocious in the first month and a half of the season. So he's back to the NFL. Now you have Blake Barker and, and DJ Smith. Uh, what do we know about these guys? What do we know about the scheme, the the alignment, the philosophy? You know, personally, I think the philosophy is far more important than the actual alignment. I, right. You know, I don't, you know, depending on what the other teams run in a formational, you, it doesn't really matter how many linebackers or safeties. Right. But, it, but what does matter is your philosophy as a defensive coordinator. So what do we know about Blake Barker and what do we know about how he wants to run a defense? Yeah, Blake Baker, he, oh, he, sorry, he Baker. LS, yeah, he was at LSU last year, linebackers coach under Ed Orgeron. But before that, he was Miami's defensive coordinator for a couple of years. His, and his 2019 defense was pretty good. Top 20, most most statistics, most uh, national um, list there. Not as good in 20, but good in 19. Before that, he was Louisiana Tech's defensive coordinator. And again, his first year there was pretty good. Um, so he is a guy that, is, that has only coached college football. Uh, he comes straight from college. He's been in major conferences. So I think the hope is, and the expectation is, he's not going to face the learning curve that Steve Wilkes faced a year ago. And and Wilkes, you know, going into last season, he he fully admitted that the transition was significant. I mean, he was even talking about the hash marks. He was still getting used to them being different. Right. The NFL and college, not exactly something you want to hear going into the SEC season. <laughs> it took him about a month to figure out if he wanted to coach on the sidelines or up in the box. Um, so it just it it showed some signs there, though. Maybe this wasn't. Maybe all the, the positives we thought about hiring an NFL head coach, NFL coordinator, maybe when you get into the heat of the moment on Saturdays and you're going up and you're in Kentucky or you're playing, um, you know, against a, a potent SEC offensive team, uh, maybe they don't know what they're doing. So I, I think that the natural thought now is, okay, you got a guy who 
knows what he's doing. He's done it before. He also knows Eli. He coached with him at Arkansas State, so they know each other pretty well. Um, and just talking to him that the one time that we have this spring, uh, he he's he says all the right things. You know, he's like, I'm not married to uh, like an alignment, like you said. I'm not coming in saying we have to run this. He wants to see what they have talent-wise first before he makes any of those decisions. Are they going to be a blitz-heavy team? Are they going to play more man than zone? He's going to let the talent on the team and the depth kind of determine that. And he's, he's less hung up on those kind of things right now than he's just figuring out what, what he has. Uh, so, you know, the expectation should be, Hey, they should not be worse. They cannot start off like they did last year because I think they do have some, some decent players there. Um, but they've got to be on the same page. And this is, you're talking about third coordinator, third system in three years. And that's, uh, the players, the veteran players are accustomed to the change at this point. They're kind of conditioned to it. So I, I don't know if, it'll be a huge adjustment for, for the older guys. Maybe the guys that just came in the program last year are going to have to learn, you know, a whole new set of terms, even though they're going to try to keep some things the same. Right. Um, but this, this spring is really important for that side of the ball. All right. Well, I'll leave you, I'll leave you with this. Cause it, it feels like there's a lot of things to like about Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah. Smart, smart guy, good recruiter, brings a lot of energy. I enjoy the, the, um, the internet just with, Eli. I think the internet's better with Eli Drinkwitz on it. Um, it's more interesting. It, my, I guess my, my big picture question about long-term expectations, you know, you kind of addressed where they should be in 2022. We think they're trying to take a step to join Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida on that second tier in right. the East. I think we all kind of agree with that somewhere in that five, six range projected, but is, is long-term success predicated more on Eli Drinkwitz's ability to go outside of the state to find talent because he just benefited from a couple of like historically good years, or do we expect Missouri to be good enough to sustain this level of recruiting as a state and a region to kind of keep them on par with teams that are recruiting at, you know, like, again, like Kentucky way over recruited this year, Tennessee, they're all in that middle teens nationally. Does that, does that question make sense? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we've seen him make some progress in. Uh, they're, they're getting the best players in the state. But they're also going out. They they got a four star running back from El Paso. You know they got Sam Horn from Georgia. They've got to do more of that because you just Missouri is not necessarily a state. Especially you know St. Louis has has been good the last few years. It's going to be good again next year. But you can't count on it every year to be as fertile as you know Atlanta or you know um, Dallas or hotbeds of recruiting. Just demographics tell you that it's not going to be it's not going to be that great all the time. Uh, so yeah, I think we've seen signs that he's been able to reach out and, and build um, some, I don't want to say pipelines because they're, they are recruiting pretty nationally. It's not just in this area or just in that area. So we've, we've seen, we've seen progress there, but on the flip side, it, he's had a lot of staff turnover. So it's kind of hard uh, when you're constantly having to replace a bunch of assistants to rely on, um, you know, what you've been able to build in recruiting in one certain area when you're flipping assistance all the time. So I think that's, that should be a concern. I, I think that that kind of touches on the overall unknown of Eli is, a, is as a program builder, because he's never really, he's never done it on his own. He's, he had a yeah. inherited a really good team at Appalachian state and they, they won more games than they did the year before, but he didn't build that. So here he's having to build and he's having to do it in the NIL age. He's, he's having to do it via the, you know, the transfer portal uh, recruiting, obviously, and he's got to get a quarterback. I mean, that's, it's, it's not going to, this is not going to work unless he makes the right decision on that position and gets a guy. 
No question about it. Dave, always a pleasure, my friend. Um, I always love seeing you. We appreciate your time. You can check him out all over the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Of course, you've also got him all over the Twitters at Dave underscore matter. Thank you so much, my friend. Good to talk to you, bud. My pleasure. That was Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, of course, covering the Missouri Tigers. And I do find Eli Drinkwitz to be this you kind of alluded to this, like, I'm not really sure how they got here. And, and while that might be a little tug in cheek, Eli Drinkowitz does is sort of, it's just very off center in general. Like he just does things a little differently. does things a little, he does it his own way. You know, Dave talked about this, like he's not a traditional guy who played football growing up and went to a powerhouse and like learned how to coach. Like he sort of has come to the, the job in a different way. And I think you can see that in how he acts on the recruiting trail and in the press and in the media, he's just sort of a different cat. And, um, and they've got some nice pieces on offense. I think he clearly is looking for a quarterback, but you know, I think they're about another 500 team. They might get to a bowl game. I don't think they're on that second tier in the sec East just yet, but it's an interesting team. And so the Missouri tigers, everybody kind of like on a, you know, we've seen Missouri flirt with or not flirt with, but be in uh, have raised themselves above that bottom tier in the East. So if they can keep it up and get people in the right positions, um, I feel like they could maybe keep going on that momentum. But I do feel like it's going to be a pivotal next couple of seasons for them. I mean, they're recruiting really, really well. And so I agree with you. It'll be a really interesting couple of years because if they keep recruiting that well, expectations will elevate eventually. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Like we think he's going to recruit pretty well. The question is, what do you do with all that talent once it gets to campus? Yeah. That's, a, that's another thing altogether. Uh, Aaron, where can the wonderful people find you? Um, the Aaron Dugan on Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. You can find me at Braden Gall on the Twitters. Make sure you go to the Facebook page and the YouTube page, mm-hmm. 440 Sports, Twitter, 440 Sports as well. Uh, you got the Instagram 440 media. So just give us, just click all the buttons, every button that you you can click to support us. Just click it, smash it, do whatever you need to, but just uh, follow along and support. We do appreciate it. Uh, And of course, make sure you're going to Jasper's Um, the, what'd you call it? The sea of comfort. A glimmer glimmer of of hope. I don't, I don't even know what I'm saying, much less than I recite it. A glimmer of hope and a sea of doom or something like that. Sounds about right. No pressure, Jasper's. (laughs) Very morbid. Save all of us from our lives. Thank you. Thanks, Jaspers. We appreciate it. Uh, For Dave Matter, for Aaron Dugan, my name is Braden Gall. Go to Jaspers, everybody. Rate, review, subscribe. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Bye.